guys. Welcome to The Funnel, an e-commerce podcast. I'm Shannon Keneally, media marketing specialist at Blue Acorn ICI. Each episode, I interview e-commerce experts to discuss the latest trends and topics that matter most to retail and brand professionals. Today, we have with us Phil Greenwood and Mark Parker from Clevio. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'll start. Uh, I am Mike Parker, Director of Sales Engineering at Clavio. Uh, what that means is my team is very involved with helping customers, you know, agencies, partners, ensure that they get the most out of uh, Clavio from, you know, it's really a technical integration standpoint. And we're involved with what I would call sort of product incubation, building out the product to extend the functionality further. So yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, so Phil Greenwood, uh, channel manager with Clavio. So my role is really focused on working with our solution providers, uh, systems integrators, and agency partners as we continue to grow uh, and support our over 21,000 uh, current customers today. Awesome. So before we hop in, can you just give us a very high level of what exactly Clavio is? So Clavio is a marketing automation platform really focused on growth. And what we mean by that is helping brands break through the noise create personal relationships at scale, leveraging their most important asset, which is their customer data. Great. So I feel like one of the buzzwords these days is owned marketing, but I think some people are confused about what the difference is between owned versus paid versus earned. Can you just tell us a little bit about what owned marketing is? Um, so first, appreciate that it's a buzzword. That's definitely something we're working for. But when we think of owned marketing, I think it starts at owned channels. And what we at least envision right now is that this starts with your website, uh, your mobile application, and your email. Um, this is a lot for a lot of brands the most direct way of communicating. So understanding how you can not only break through the noise and thinking about ways to create a more personal relationship, um, but also cut down your investment in other channels that might be feeling like a black box, which is to say other advertising channels that you're really relying on their algorithms or other marketplaces, which essentially are leasing your customers. So when we think of helping brands grow, uh, it really is focused on helping them own that growth in a very material way. Um, again, looking at their customer data and how that can inform uh, so many other parts of their business strategically. I'll just, so I'll just add one thing. In, in terms of owned marketing, you can yeah juxtapose it with one to highlight one thing is, you know if you're if you're selling on Amazon, if you're paying Google um, or Facebook in order to acquire users, you know that can be important to help your business grow. But you, you know like you don't really own that. You are renting customers from uh, Amazon. You're you know paying to acquire new users from Google. We think that the best brands out there are really building strong relationships so that their customers can be the evangelists that help them. It's this virtuous feedback loop so they can own their own growth at the end of the day. Right. So essentially you're enabling brands to sell directly to the consumer without relying on, like you said, Amazon, other online marketplaces, things like that. Yep. That's the North Star for us. Big one. How does owned marketing help brands grow their business, again, without relying on online marketplaces? I can start. I think part of that is deciding and being really deliberate in the type of communication and relationship you want to build. Um, we've got some great customer stories. I think one that stands out to me is a company called Beard Brand, and they're notable to us, or at least important to internally for us. Um, they've moved entirely off of Amazon. For a lot of brands, that is a scary thing to think about. But the type of communication that they're really relying on was education, right? If you think about the different ways um, for men's products, a lot of different beauty and hair products, all right? Everybody's different. Everybody's got their own way of taking care of themselves. 
but the products really do align with that when you think about the education of how, how to use my product and really building that foundation on education has enabled them to not only break through the noise, but really build a loyalist um, customer base so that people are consistently coming back. They've got some great evangelists out there and they've got a really cool story to share when it comes down to how they've defined so much of that journey for themselves. Do you typically, not to go too much down a rabbit hole, but do you typically recommend brands to, or should I say, in what situation would you tell a brand, hey, like your time on Amazon has been great for getting brand awareness, but it's time to move off of it, you know, leverage Clavio, or is it some brands have a better balance or is that more of a particular case study? I think the, the kind of underlining thing here is that we want you to be more sophisticated with how you leverage these channels. So Amazon is a great way, not just to, you know, build up a customer base, but also understand, okay, well, it's not going anywhere. So maybe we're just going to be a bit more sophisticated in the types of products that we sell on Amazon as a way to get people to our website, which is really the end goal, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking about that as a strategy, not just a one size fits all silver bullet, but how these different channels can be a bit more sophisticated by leveraging all these different customer data points, thinking about their online transactions, their website activity, email engagement, all of which paints a clearer picture of who they are so that when you are selling on these other marketplaces or advertising on these other channels, you're just being a bit more sophisticated and smart about it. So you're not just spending money in a black hole. I, and I'll just add one thing. I think with Beard Brand as an example, when they you know moved off Amazon, it was they wanted to own not just their growth, but like their happiness, uh, their strategy. It's they, it, Amazon can be a headache, to be honest. And so I think it it was they wanted to sort of own their full strategic vision. And when it became too much of a hassle, it occupied too much of their time, they just made the leap. And I think they're happy they did it. I think for every brand, it will probably be a little bit different. But, you know, at some point, probably the time is right. Let's put it that way. And if you're still interested in learning more about this story, we actually featured their CEO on our stage at this year's Clavio Boston conference. Um, we have a great collateral, great piece of content on our website just to highlight a little bit more about his story and some of his experience throughout that. So how do brands leverage owned marketing to help us say, you know, customer retention, loyalty, and ultimately to improve their revenue? The way that I think about answering this question is what I do as a consumer, right? So like the brands that I love are the the brands that kind of speak to me personally. And give an example, Marine Layer. I just, you know, I, I love their their products. Their email outreach is on point and just the messaging and branding. So I think of Marine Layer, I think of, you know, Bonobos and, and brands like that. And the I think the consistent theme is that they're using personalization and really solid branding, to, you know, to reach out to people at the right time with the right message. And so that's what we're trying to help people achieve is personalization is this abstract thing that everyone talks about, but you kind of know it when you see it. And so those are the brands that we tend to love. Absolutely. And when we think of retention and loyalty, um, I would also defer to a lot of our good partners in the ecosystem, right? So when we have pre-built integrations, the likes of Yotpo, Nasto, um, that really not only drive home that personalization piece, but also the loyalty programs, the UGC, everything else that's happening in the background that just complements and enriches what's, do, what's going on in Clavio uh, and how all that just can really just inform your strategy across multiple channels. Um, and again, just painting a much clearer picture about who that person is. So it's a warm conversation. It's something that you're used to hearing or it's nothing you're really welcome to hearing from that brand. I think we all have experienced the other side of this, the other end of the pendulum, where it's just like, why are we selling or why are, we, why are you still emailing me these products? And at the end of the day, that's going to get a pretty quick unsubscribed and it might even get a spam complaint depending on the type of content that's being shared. 
um, because it's got to feel personal. I think there's just so much noise out there that as a customer, it's easy for me to resonate with that. It's easy for me to understand what did I like about that. And for us on the product side, working at Clavio, it's really cool to see some of the best practices, some of the other ideas that merchants take on their own. Yeah, I mean, Amazon's convenient. It's why I shop there. But if something better comes along, if I get a better experience from brand, you bet I'm shopping with the brand. So how are brands leveraging own marketing to collect customer data and then turn that data into insights to make informed decisions? So I think it can span across a couple of different ways or mechanisms, right? So naturally, if you're using, for example, a sign-up form, you know, for a basic newsletter or at your checkout, you know, it's that final step. There's a lot of good information that you can gather on both ends of that. Part of it is, depending on where the relationship is, is their first time to your site? Is it their first time engaging with your email? Is that an opportunity to start a conversation in a very simple way, right? Is this an opportunity to build up a more complete picture of who that person is? So when we think about some of the brands we work with, I look at um, you know some of the actual wedding dresses brands we work with. I think there's some really cool use cases around that. So if I'm asking you as soon as you come to look at a new wedding dress, when's your wedding? Right. I'm probably going to communicate with you differently if your wedding is six months out versus two years. And I have that to rely back on. So as soon as I reach out to you throughout the year or throughout the next couple months, depending on how urgent it is, my content is really going to resonate with where you are as a customer with my brand. Um, I think that same theme would apply across a variety of different industries and verticals. A lot of it does have to do with, again, understanding the kind of connection you want to build with customers and really just informing that whether it's through a sign-up form, questions in an email, other channels and integrations you're leveraging, if it's a rewards program or you know other subscription type models where you're actually gathering that information on like how often they're coming back and buying or resubscribing. All of that, again, just paints a much clearer picture about who they are and how all that data can really just inform what you're trying to communicate. I'll just add one, one more category of data is it's not just, there's sort of the uh, what you know about people, what they've ordered, what they've browsed, any sort of like properties or characteristics of those people. But I actually think the next level is, you know, using that data to predict what they're going to do in the future, right? So you can use that to, you can use observed data to sort of like segment and so forth. But it's even better if you can anticipate when their next order should have been. If you can anticipate, you know, who's going to be a VIP customer versus who's not based on just a few di- uh, initial data points. And so anyway, that's, you know, just speaking a little bit for Clavio, that's where we're investing a lot is, um, is democratizing that type of information. Not everyone knows how to be a data scientist, but the data's there. So that's, that's, that's another area of opportunity. So that kind of ties in with the question I was going to ask later on, but you guys had mentioned the custom properties and progressive profiling um, feature on Clavio. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and how you would use that to predict the future customer lifetime value and their future actions? Yeah, I think these are sort of complementary topics. So when we talk about progressive profiling, it's like if I purchase from a a brand um, or maybe I'm just a window shopper at first, right? And then you might, here's a sort of user journey. I'm a window shopper. I'm sort of browsing online and I'm like, "Eh, I'm going to hit the exit button. And as I move up and away from the, to, to try to select X or the back button, well, Clavio can detect exit intent. Will serve up a, f- a form and say, "Hey, don't you want to get you know ten percent off or something?" But at that point, you just know probably my email and my name. Uh, I then come back. I make a purchase. Now we know purchase information about you, and we know your email and name, so we can start to forecast what you look like. Next, I might want to serve up a form because I've already got your your name. 
you know, when's your birthday? We want to give you some birthday discount. So when we talk about progressive profiling, we're talking about sort of incrementally gathering that type of information. Additional to that, but sort of adjacent, is the notion of predictions. So we can do the predictions simply based on observed order activity as well. I don't know if you have anything to add, Phil, but... Now you nailed it. Okay. <laughs> Talking more on the technical side, if, you know, a cohesive marketing stack plays a, obviously a really critical role in the own marketing space. So what type of questions should a brand ask if they're vetting different technologies? I have lots of thoughts on this, but... Um, <clears throat> so here's my observation, having um, spent time at Clavio, but also other software companies, is there are usually gonna be compromises in terms of how the software works. And the question is, do you get to try out the technology, the software to, fig to sort of like prove it to yourself? And are you, I wouldn't say smart enough, but do you have uh, the experience or um, just the amount of time needed to detect the weird edge cases that can come up that are gonna be the limitations? So what we do with Clavio and I believe strongly in this, is we let people use the software, the full-featured uh, full version, and then we remove all of the compromises and sneaky gotchas that come with a lot of other platforms. So here's a few things to look out for, for example. One, are there any limitations in terms of how much data you can pass in? So this is going to come in the form of data retention periods or number of fields of data that you can store, or, for example, maybe you have to like go into the UI of your marketing, of your ESP or marketing automation tool and predefine some property. That's really annoying. That usually implies limitations. So it's, it's just work. So there's things like that. There's also even more subtle things. So with a lot of these platforms, you can do sort of deep analysis in the form of quote unquote segmentation, but that might be separate. You might not be able to use a segment to then market to them because of weird technical things under the hood in terms of you know, how much it, you know, computational cost there is. At the end of the day, my, my main point is this, that the end goal should be to, yes, try to understand all the features that you know you want, and maybe you feel you can add to that, but also my main thing is try to look out for the gotchas mm -hmm. or make sure that the company that you're working with you feel very confident that they don't have those gotchas. And that's what we try to do with Clavio. Yeah. Um, so on that note, I think we did have a slide um, that at Clavio Boston this year where there's about 7,400 MarkTech solutions out there. I would imagine a lot of merchants or agencies or solution providers are seeing tons and tons of demos in a given year. So when I look at this, I think that there is an ecosystem that we are lucky enough to work with of experts that have not only worked with um, just a handful of brands, but probably in the hundreds, if not thousands of brands that are in a similar solution, a similar state. And they've worked or at least have relationships with a lot of these different solutions. So when I think about um, kind of how to optimize your stack, I think a lot of it does come back to this is the first time doing this. Have I ever worked with that vendor in the past? Have I you know, leveraged a partner to help me out with this journey um, where I think there's a big opportunity to just simplify the simplify the story, reach out to an expert and at least have an honest conversation about what you're trying to accomplish and see if there's a fit out there that they've worked with, but also how it all, how it all plays together so that our team and Mike's team can really just help inform how Clavio can be a good fit in that journey too. I'll add, sorry, just one last point. <laughs> Many thoughts on this. It's also, you should also be asking what it's like to do business with this software provider. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the risk of sounding 
too much like a Clavio evangelist. Basically, our philosophy is um, you should be able to evaluate your software on a monthly basis. If it's not working for you, fire them, right? You should be able to, better than that, even try it before you buy because the company should have enough faith in their product that they're not afraid to let you, you know, try it. So anyway, there's also the notion of like, what's it like to do business with these people? Do they trust their software? And does the market trust their software as well? Yeah. Where do most people, where are they coming from when they move on to Clavio? Uh, it's a, it's a wide spectrum, really. I think what we're hoping to accomplish is that if you're just a startup brand with a small team, that it shouldn't be too complicated. You shouldn't need a master's degree in computer science just to get started with using a solution like Clavio. Um, so in that sense, it is a very simple story about we just got started, we've just spun up a new site, and we just want to start engaging with our customers. On that end, I think we're a great fit because it's very easy to just get set up and get the basics down. There's also a ton of pre-built functionality. So again, it's as simple as it can get, right, when it comes down to just using it, all the way up to more enterprise, uh, you know, multinational brands, right? And thinking about the types of use cases they're looking to accomplish, um, the complexities, the different not just use cases, but the different kind of whether it's a brick and mortar, maybe we're expanding internationally, um, and we're well equipped to support that as well. But understanding that we want to, again, offer the flexibility and um, sophistication that a lot of these shops would hope to accomplish, but not at the cost of having a worse off relationship from a business perspective. So the plans, the functionality, all of that remains true throughout on either end of that. But again, having that honest conversation where we can jump in and obviously give you some Good, good, clean advice. Again, you know, we're, we're pretty transparent with it comes down to pricing, but also on how we evaluate customers. We, at the end of the day, uh, we want to make sure you're successful. We have measure ourselves based on growth and how we're helping you grow um, your owned marketing revenue. So thinking about that is like the big picture is that the, we, we want it to be on both ends of the spectrum, a really good story that we can tell. Yeah, I think so. The question is, where do people come from? And I think, you know, we have tens of thousands of customers at this point. So really everywhere, to be honest. Mm -hmm everyone can get value. So to build on Phil's point, if you're not super mature in your email marketing, you might just be blown away by what's possible in Clavio. Even if you are really mature, Clavio has incredible functionality. We mentioned the data science aspects of it. And it's also really, really easy to adopt. And so this is why I think um, people from all across the spectrum in terms of sophistication and you know small businesses all the way up to big, big enterprises um, are using Clavio. Some merchants that are new to Clavio, what data points should they be focusing on first or what functionality should they be focusing on without getting too overwhelmed by it? We've really, historically, there's a, a metric that we've called um, Clavio Attributed Value, KAV. Uh, and we're actually sort of renaming that as um, sort of owned marketing revenue. And the idea is this, when you start sending, we'll speak about emails. I mean, Clavio can do more than emails, but when you, when you start talking about uh, emails, we basically have front and center in the Clavio app. Here's your your total revenue is X. Let's just say you know a million dollars, and you've got two hundred thousand of that that's powered by uh, flow based emails, which are automations, and another you know two hundred K that are powered by uh, marketing campaigns like campaign blasts. So we're gonna do all that attribution for you, and so right there, what you you know just we said two hundred. 200k out of a million, you can say 20% of my revenue is from flow-based emails. 20% of my revenue is from uh, campaign-based emails. Those are the metrics that I want to drive. And so as a marketer, you essentially, we kind of like build it into the Clayview app. Those are KPIs. And you have immediately a story around 
what are we doing for own marketing? What percent of our business is it? And you know, if you can drive that up, especially relative to where you're spending money elsewhere, you know, Google, uh, Amazon, et cetera, then those are some good metrics to, to focus on. Yeah. And kind of focusing on some of the more, the, the brands that are a bit more new, less sophisticated with the email once they come on to Clavey, I think a lot of it is just understanding the data you already have. For a lot of you know merchants, it's the first time they're looking at the full picture, right? They've got their static lists that sit pretty siloed from their e-commerce data that sits pretty siloed from their uh, loyalty program. And just thinking about how, you know, in the past, all that is operated and managed very separately. So it becomes this manual web of information you're trying to get a better picture of. So as soon as you integrate and understand what's happening across these different um, platforms, I think at a, at a basic level, you're understanding what's already there, right? Is how do I define my engaged customer audience? How do I decide who maybe isn't engaged and I need to clean them out and just kind of part ways with? Um, and how healthy is my database at a very, very basic level? Because there might be a lot of nuggets that are hidden in there, um, but there's also probably a lot of duds you just want to make sure you clean out at the end of the day. Do you have any success stories for Clavio that you can share? Uh, kind of already shared the one that's most exciting to me. I think um, for us, you know, as a brand, I think it's cool when we can work with these more you know, we talk a lot about e-commerce. We talk a lot about the types of brands that we really do that are front and center across our, our website. Well, we just added a case study on Custom Ink, um, which I think is a really unique you know, example for us, just given how many thousands of SKUs they potentially have um, and the types of build that that would be for us. So we've got a really cool blog on our website just talking about that as far as what we were able to do with their team. But that's a really cool one for me because I think it just speaks to at least the sophistication that brands can get in there. Um, but also thinking about the journey we have ahead of us as we continue to iterate on these different types of integrations, use cases, and you know different verticals we'll probably support in the future. Yeah, I'll just <clears throat> add another one here. So, I think what excites uh, me is yes, the the brands that you know I, I like, but also the brands that are doing the most. And so, um, you know, we've got brands like Chubby's, for example, are using Clavio not just for email, but also for, you know, push messaging um, to their to their mobile app uh, users. Um, and so it basically allows for this, you know, cross-channel experience. And it's it's easy to do in Clavio as part of, uh, I mentioned, you know, flows. And brands that are using, what excites me most is the brands that are using the data science in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. So I expected that your next order was going to be two days ago and you haven't purchased since then. I'd like to send you an email or basically segmenting based on uh, based on uh, folks that have uh, made very few purchases, but have very high potent like forecasted value. I think the brands that are using that type of data are really, uh, you know, going to the next level. Um, How much data do you need to make those type of forecasts? There is a, yeah, so there is, a practical um, limitation here, which is it, it's and it's most brands are going to satisfy this, but we do need to have at least 500 order events, and we need to have I think it's like uh, some portion of those users have to have had three or more purchases. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, you need to be able to build out sort of forecasts and patterns, uh, and just having some threshold number of data is is important. But I mean, almost every brand is going to satisfy that, so. Mm-hmm. Would you say it depends on how niche that target audience would be? Because I would imagine that for some brands, 500, like would 500 transactions really be able to make a... a, um, Conclusive, statistically significant. Yeah, 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 so I could definitely nerd out around the science of it. (laughs) I think we chose 500 because 
you could make directionally right decisions at that point, but you're also right that the more data you get, the more quote unquote statistical significance you get as well. And so, yeah, I mean, our preference is to make it available at 500, but yeah, as, as you have more, it becomes even more robust and reliable for sure. And it's it's not just based on the volume as much as it is, you know, the frequency of the purchases. If you're looking at a brand that sells bid ticket furniture items, right, for selling mattresses or bed frames, well, that's going to be a different different data set, but also just a different way of using the analytics if you're a subscription brand. So the goal is that we're not only looking just at the volume, but the frequency and just kind of painting a clear picture of what does my normal transaction or what does my normal order history look like and how do I layer on these predictive analytics. We're lucky enough that we have that data science team Mike's alluded to a few times here, and it's very much rooted in the scientific method. So we do have a lot of content, again, kind of direct people back to website, um, highlighting how they generated this model and some best practices on leveraging customer lifetime value. Awesome. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, at the end of the day, this is an exciting time. Uh, we know we've, we've gone through a lot of growth this year. We've just launched our London office, expanding into California. So as we continue to grow, I think, it, I think it speaks to a lot of our team when we say we're excited to keep learning um, from our customers, from our partners, and just figure out how we can really take this to the next level, um, really helping brands grow. That's going to be front and center for us. Um, as soon as we start to release new features, new functionality, it's all got to be rooted in a very clear ROI story. When we think about how are we really helping brands grow, if it doesn't work, we definitely want to hear that feedback. We want to make changes, but that's a big, big focus for us in the next year is understanding how this owned marketing piece is really going to resonate with merchants. I would just say try it. I mean, yeah. we're one of the f- we are one of the uh, few companies out there that believe in our product enough to just let you try it full featured. Yeah without any risk. And so, you you know, we want you to do it. Yeah. And if you need help, call Blue Acorn. Yeah, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you. And yeah, thank you, Phil and Mike, for joining us. This is great. For those of you listening, definitely check out Clavio's website for more info. You can listen to any of the Funnel episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also check out blueacornici.com for more info. Thank you. Bye.